0: Good morning, good morning, Grace Place, both online and on campus. We're so glad you're able to join us and be a part of what God has in store for you today. Good morning. It's my birthday. (laughs) I didn't say that to get a happy birthday from you. It really was just a reminder to those friends of mine who are into astronomy that uh, I have made 62 trips around the sun and um, this has been my vehicle, Planet Earth. So pretty impressive, right? People have wanted to know like, what is it like to live in your sixth decade, and uh, the first thing you'll notice is uh, that the check light just stays on. There's <laughs> not much you can do about it, uh, which really creates some difficulty for that annual state inspection. Uh, you might want to find somebody who will doctor the report. If you need somebody, uh, see me after service. I'll give you a name <laughs> of a guy you can slip a Hyundai to, and he will doctor your report. Lots of uh, you know different things as you as you age, uh, different seasons of your life, and every time you you get to one, you think, "Wow, this is the best! Like this is this is the greatest!" You know, when I we first got married, and I thought, "This is the greatest, man!" You know. Uh, we had uh, chances to travel, we, we did lots of things, and even as our kids were young, we still left them behind, we divided them up among church people, and we took off on missions trips and did things, and, uh, you know, we, and we enjoyed our, our kids. We took them places, and we uh, enjoyed watching them grow up and all of their different personalities, and we've shared some of those stories with you to their great chagrin from here, you know, as biblical illustrations. Um, and uh, we, we really did enjoy that you get into you know your 30s your 40s and uh, You know there are there are these these wonderful seasons and as you watch your your children become adults and you, you see their choices You watch them graduate from high school. You see them go to college and and uh, what a joy I remember uh, Zach was graduating from Biola and uh, we had gone down to be at that and uh, so on that same Sunday Uh, my daughter Amanda was was here speaking Uh, my daughter Micah was heading up the children's program you know and and um, then you know when we got to uh, stay over Sunday and go with my son and daughter-in-law to their home church in California uh, my daughter-in-law is is on the worship team my son's playing drums how great is this like everybody's in the house of God everybody loves Jesus and everybody's using their gifts for the Lord Man, you know, this has got to be the best part of life, right? And then, you know, you get into uh, your 50s and your late 50s and things and uh, there's, you know, all of a sudden grandkids start showing up and you're like, whoa, this is amazing. This is like the best part of life. like, And I just love this because like I have no obligation to, to as I did with my children, to train them and to teach them and to discipline them and stuff like that. I just get to, like, their mom says no, and I just, behind the back, just hand them a donut, you know, and it's just, it's so cool. It's just so much fun, you know, and I can't even think of there being anything better, but I know that as we get a chance to watch them grow up, and we are right now, uh, our oldest granddaughter is seven, and uh, she made her commitment to Jesus Christ at camp this year, and uh, amen. (laughs) They called to tell me her mom did, and she told me, you know, she put her on the phone. Papa, you know, I asked Jesus to be the leader of my life and the Lord of my life, and it was like so great. And and uh, then by the last service, you know, they were asking the kids like, invite God to speak to you, ask Him, you know, to talk to you and and share whatever He wants, you know, and open your your hearts to Him. And she said, Papa, Jesus told me that. You know i i would be a missionary and it was just just so awesome you know because i was thinking back to i was just eight years old when god told me i would be a pastor and had no concept of what that really would look like or meant but i did hear the voice of god and believed god what he said was true and so it's amazing how god uh, brings you along in these seasons of life they just get better and better right so, we're going to have cone of ice after this is over. It's going to be great. <laughs> the bad news is, it's not over. <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you, Romans chapter 12. Romans, the 12th chapter. We're going to look in particular at verses 2 and 3 out of Romans chapter 12. When you've found your place there, will you please stand for the reading of God's Word? The title of this message, Informed Theology. Informed Theology. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, asking that you would open our hearts to receive into good ground that you're speaking to us. And Lord, we would would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, even today, and that we would open to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which is the vehicle, uh, Lord, the the opening by which you, you come and begin to transform our worldview. We must first make you Lord and leader. And so we ask God that you would move us all into complete submission in that direction, for your glory and your name's sake, we praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Trips around the sun uh, do not necessarily mean that a person is, uh, you know, any wiser, but it does mean that you you have a greater uh, capacity or opportunity for gathering wisdom. And as a pastor, my focus has primarily been on teaching scriptures to. Uh, God's people, and uh, you know, I, I have a, a master's degree in practical theology. That's not something you see at every university. So you want that? You have to generally go to a seminary to find uh, that particular degree. Uh, that degree is is not common uh, in, in most universities, but it taught me something early in the early studies. And one of the things that I took away from early studies of theology and Christian education is that we all have. A theology those who are a part of, of, of Christianity as a church and you're following Jesus but those who are outside and are not and don't believe in Jesus we all have a theology we all have a, a worldview that that shapes our moral code uh, we act upon our worldview based upon what we believe to be good you know, what we believe to be bad and what we believe to be evil. I like what Dr. David Wells said about this, and he puts it so well. He is a theologian and teaches uh, a a theology um, class. Well, actually, he's he's the head of the theology department now. But uh, he he wrote this in, in his book, No Place for Truth. He said, the question at issue then is not whether you will have a theology, but whether it will be a good or bad one, whether we will be conscious of our thinking process or not, and more particularly, whether we will learn to bring all our thoughts into obedience to Christ or not. So we don't have a choice really about having a theology or not having one. We all have a way of of putting things together for our life in our own minds based upon our personal experiences, based upon our education, uh, based upon observations that we make, the influences that are in our life, world events. Uh, Our emotions now are a huge driver in the day and age you and I live in. And a lot of people have a theology of emotions. And uh, their emotions and feelings are dictating decisions that they're going to make or not make in life. The choice that we do have, though, is who will most shape our theology? Who will most shape our worldview, or what will most shape our worldview? And Paul is speaking to that in this text, and he begins by saying do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to examine in the next few moments uh, together three uh, sources uh, that, or three things talked about here in this passage that, that speak to the development of a sound uh, and good biblical theology. The first uh, he talks about, and we'll, we'll go to that in a moment, is the source, uh, and, and then he talks about a place and then he talks about vessels so let's take a look at, at this passage and examine it but I think before we can really dig into these points what we're going to need to do is back up one verse because as I prayed just a moment ago it, this this verse is the key to it all it's Romans 12 verse 1 and so dear brothers he says I plead with you to give your bodies to God Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is it too much to ask? What Paul is saying about the development of a a worldview is it's only possible considering this first verse. A healthy, proper, and true worldview is only possible in light of this first verse. If I'm holding anything, any part of myself back from complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over my life, my worldview is going to reveal it. I cannot sell to others what I have not 100% purchased for myself, right? Now, how do I know that I have offered myself completely to God? How can I know that I have laid myself down as a complete sacrifice? And I think these are some of the fruits, and there are more, uh, but these are a few of them that we will see as a result of those who have completely surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And the number one, I would say, is the way in which you worship. The way that I worship demonstrates that I have declared the lordship of Jesus Christ over my life. Worship simply means worthship, and what is most worthy of worship in my life. Is going to be revealed in my actions and my behaviors and my day to day decisions. And so you will see uh, the surrender the, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the life of one another uh, by the way we worship. Second, by my obedience to God's commands. Those who are disobedient, it tells us in Scripture, it's how God describes those who are away from Him. He said He calls them the children of disobedience. I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure or privilege of being able to teach a Sunday school class or, uh, you, got, you know, maybe a teacher at school and, and had you know, children there who were disobedient. <laughs> it is no fun, isn't it? Uh, trying to get them to align uh, their, their behavior so that the whole class can go in a particular direction. It's kind of like herding cats, right? It's just, they're all going different directions, good luck, you know? and then uh third my willingness to serve my willingness to serve we see that uh a a person has surrendered the lordship of of jesus christ by their willingness to serve They, they are eager to help out you know my wife and i we love god's house we love god's church we love god's people we love people period and we are eager to serve and to help out where the opportunities arise and provide themselves. And we don't label it and say, well, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm too gifted for that, or I'm not good with kids, or I'm not good with this or that. We just say, it's an opportunity to serve. I want to do it. And we leap right into it and get engaged in it. And I think it's a, it's a sign of those who are completely given over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We, we just identify that this is a divine moment. God's led me into an opportunity uh, to serve, and therefore, I'm serving, right? Uh, then my ownership of the Great Commission, my part in that Great Commission. You know, uh, I have to tell you something about uh, you know behind the scenes about Michelle and I. We can we can drive through neighborhoods and cry, you know, because uh, you know the HOAs mean. No, we don't. We <laughs> <laughs> we drive we drive through neighborhoods sometimes and, and weep because. There are people who don't know God, and it hurts our heart. You know, from from when we were young, this this was the case. We uh, Michelle and I started a, a children's ministry at the first church where we served at, and and uh, the pastor was gracious enough to help us get some vans, and, and we would take these vans out on Saturday, and we would go to apartment complexes. You know, these some of these complexes were just a wreck. I mean, not brand new, modern, great-looking complexes, but they were a train wreck, because our our church was in an in a inner city kind of an area, you know, and so they didn't look really nice, and the kids were playing on a broken, you know, playgrounds and things, and And we would go up and find these kids, you know, and, uh, you know, we had flyers, and we would be talking to them about, you know, what we do on Sunday in children's church, and can we go meet your parents, and they would say, yeah, and they'd take us to their 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 apartment complex, and they'd knock on the door, you know, we open the door up you know that mom would open the door up or dad and and uh, you know squinting out to see what's going on and we would tell them about the children's program and all that was going on and we'd love to pick your kids up we'll pick them up you know over here and we'll bring them right back and drop them off and make sure they get into your house safely and all of that and parents say yeah go ahead you know no problem and and uh, so we went from having you know like uh, 12 15 kids to uh, finally, you know, uh, on one Easter, over 200, but we, we were averaging well over 100 kids on a weekly basis in our kids' program. We took ownership of the Great Commission. It belongs to us. It's not for somebody else who's, got, who's a gifted orator or has skills and all this kind of stuff. And let me tell you, like, you know, uh, I, I'm, you, know you, you may think, well, he's, he's pretty polished, you know, it was probably pretty easy for him. We were horrible when we first got started. We were stammering around, you know, and, and it was like, you know, nervous, too. It's like, we're going to a totally strange parent's house, and we're going to ask if we can take their kids away. <laughs> How great is that, you know? And, uh, but, but God had placed that in our hearts, and so we would just weep over these kids, man. I, I can remember sitting in her, her mom's office. She was the church secretary, her mom was, and we would sit in there, and... and Tell her stories about these kids we were picking up and how they, you know, were you didn't have clothes to put on in the morning, you know, or they had to go get the dirty clothes out to put a clothes on. But they were eager. They wanted to come. They hadn't eaten or anything. And what can we do? And she would cry and I would cry and we would figure this out. Like, let's, let's get some oranges and, and orange slices and let's, let's get some food and let's do some things that are going to help these kids be able to get ministered to, you know. And uh, it was just so awesome, you know, but that was like our week, you know. We have a part of the Great Commission, and we are excited to see what God is doing in hearts and life. I, I remember we rigged a competition one time. This kid, you know, his, his dad was working at like a, you know, a 7-Eleven and uh, making minimum wage, and his mom was on drugs and left, and so him and his sister, you know, his dad was trying to raise them, and they were living impoverished, and it was, it was difficult, and so you know, we had this contest where we were giving away like this skateboard. And I went behind the, the stage where Michelle was and I said, I'm rigging this thing, man. <laughs> He's going to win it. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, okay, you know. And it wasn't much point difference, you know. And, and we gave the other kid a nice gift too. But we, you know, it was just your heart just breaks. You know, you're like, this, you know the stories. And, and when you know the stories, then, then the Great Commission, you take ownership over it. You're like, we got to help these people find Jesus. He's not an answer. He's the answer, right? Amen. And then, and I think the way that I give, you know, the way that I give demonstrates that that I am uh, uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ over my life, because I understand that I'm just a steward. Everything that I have belongs to God, and uh, you know, and so it doesn't really, you know, have the the kind of like value that it might have to some other people, like. I enjoy and appreciate what God's given me but I can give it away tomorrow right because it's not mine anyway and if God says let him have it I'm gonna give it away and then the way that we love the way that we love is unique as Christians because it isn't about moved by feelings and and trying to make somebody happy it's moved by sacrifice right Jesus said you know that that while we were yet sinners he would die for us and he, he stretched out his arms and sacrificed our world doesn't understand that kind of love They think that you should leave them alone if they want to love somebody that's out of line with what God's Word says because that makes them happy and that's the way they were made, right? But God's Word says that real love sometimes is sacrificing and not getting what you want because God's not interested in your happiness. He's interested in your holiness and He wants to transform you. I didn't mean to spend that much time on that point. But anyway, lordship equals biblical theology. Let's get into this really quickly. Source, number one. I was, when I was thinking about the source of biblical theology, you know, how do we get right in our thinking, our worldview of, of how we should look at things and think about things? I was struck by one of the statements that we read a moment ago by the uh, theology professor, Dr. David Wells. And he said, he, in, in that statement, he says, he uses uh, this language talking about getting theology right, whether we be conscious of our thinking process or not. It's almost like a pause in in that statement where he's saying, you don't even think sometimes about how you're you're being led or processed in the world and how it's bleeding over and you're trying to make it fit into biblical theology. And he's saying there needs to be some critical thinking going on, directed by the Holy Spirit, so that you can understand the difference. And Paul is talking about that here, and here's how Paul says it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world. Now, one of the ways that you can be conscious in your thinking process is to be aware of the patterns of this world. J.B. Phillips, uh, in his translation of this same passage renders it this way, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 14, Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. And what they're all saying is that the boat is, is in the water, but it is not of the water. And so too, uh, as Christians, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Be conscious of the patterns of the world and don't let them be woven into your theology, your worldview, and biblical understanding and try to take the Bible and, and find places where you can accept what the patterns of the world are doing so that you're not struck you know, upside the head by council culture or anything else, and and that you are able to navigate quietly in the streams of the pattern of the world and still say, I'm a Christian. Our shape should not match the world. Psalms 1 and 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or set in the company of mockers. Patterns of the world will always lead us to separation from God and separation from God's family. Our primary source for theology and practical living is the Word of God. And if you're looking for doctrine out of the Word of God or how to, to live out... Uh, the principles taught in Scripture, it will be woven for you from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. You're not going to have to pick a piece out here and say this is the way that we're supposed to be living. It's going to be clear to you. I'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end. The second thing that that Paul is alluding to, I think, here in this uh, passage, is a place, a place for uh, theology to be formed, And he says, uh, he he uses the language, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the place that God has chosen for that to take place is the church, uh, more accurately referred to as the body of Christ, uh, is a place where transformation and renewal can take place. It is a place created by God and Jesus is the head. And it is an important place for us to come together. There are a lot of things that happen uh, as a church, as the body of Christ, when we come together. This place is a place of worship and prayer. Jesus identified it and said, you know, you have made my Father's house, but my Father's house is supposed to be, you've made it a den of thieves, but it's supposed to be a house of prayer. A place of interaction between God and man A place that we come together as the body of Christ. It's not always a building, right? Because, you know, there are a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ in China that, you know, they're meeting in fields and in homes and wherever they can find a place to do it privately and secretly because it's against the law. And so they don't have a building, but the body of Christ is coming together, right? And they're worshiping God and this is taking place. It's a place of prayer it's also a place where people of god gather together and what i want to say about that um, is is uh, the the importance i think of, of the camaraderie of us looking around and saying brothers and sisters you know that are here they're also going through tough things their kids are having to, to go through tough things you know we're doing this together and we're here to encourage one another and help one another but there's also a side of us being brought together that purposely God is trying to break some rough edges off of us, right? So it's not always supposed to be, uh, you know, a comfortable ride, right? There are times that we're going to love our church and all the people in it, and there are times that we're not going to be so sure about that, and especially maybe some of the people in it, right? And and those are times when God is working on us, right? And I want to tell you, if you hit the eject button, you can do it. I mean, it's easy. It's one of the easiest things to do. It's harder to change your kids from the schools, right? It's a lot of difficulty and things like that, but you can push the eject button on your church and be somewhere else tomorrow, right? Yeah. But, but what I want to say to you is you're just going to go through the same thing, <laughs> right? You'll get the honeymoon, right? Oh, this is the great place. I love the worship team. I love the pastor and all this kind of stuff. And then boom, you're going to hit one of those roadblocks again. I hate that person. Why do they act that way? They're supposed to be a Christian, you know? All right? And, and God's gonna see to it that that keeps happening until you say, all right, I'm ready. What do I need to learn? What do you wanna do in me? You wanna teach me more patience? You wanna teach me how to forgive? You wanna teach me how to love? I'm, I'm wide open to it, Lord. Help me. And that's one of the reasons God brings us together. It's a place of accountability, right? You don't see people here today that should be here, you know? I wanna encourage you text them, call them, right? And, and get, get engaged. Hold each other accountable. Say, man, I love you, and I love it when you're here. Uh, a place of mission. It's a place where we come together and, and we're reignited for mission, you know? But the mission isn't always just out there, right? The mission that we were talking about in our prayer circle this morning is also in here. You don't know what some of your brothers and sisters have, have been going through, you know? Always, Right? We have family members that you know present today that lost a a close and and dear member of their family there are there are all kinds of things that are happening and when you are engaged in mission here you go and minister to one another and encourage one another you let god lead you and direct you on a day-to-day basis it is a place of confession repentance it is a place where heaven is closer than earth man that's one of the reasons i really love to go We were in another church on Friday night. Uh, They're coming to a big conclusion on a a year-long thing they've been doing to get trained and equipped to, to be effective for the kingdom, and we were there to celebrate with them, and there's a worship team leading worship, and man, it was just so awesome. I just thought, this is about as close as we get to heaven while we're here on earth, man. I was just raptured up. For Jesus for my family and Jesus you know, for my life. And, and I love that song and, we, and just raptured up in the moment of, of all of that was going on in that house. And then Ephesians, Paul talks about this. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, uh, but fellow citizens of God's, uh, with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built up to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So a place and finally a vessel. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. God has always used men and women uh, as, uh, to direct His people and guide His people. Uh, these beautiful vessels of the Lord have come with titles like judges, prophets, kings, pastors, evangelists, teachers, apostles. They are God's chosen mouthpieces, if you will. And So how do you know them? How do you know God is, has uh, uh, sent a vessel into your life? Uh, Jeremiah 3.15 uh, is one of many passages that speak to this. And God said, And I will give you shepherds after my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So they speak God's truth in love. They come to us with God's anointing. They come in humility. Uh, They willingly sacrifice of their time, their talent, and their treasure to lead God's people into His presence and they will spiritually feed the sheep um, God's Word. One of the last things that uh, Dr. David Wells wrote in that book uh, I referred to earlier, he said the disappearance of theology from the life of the church and the orchestration of the disappearance by some of the leaders is hard to miss today. It is hard to miss In the evangelical world, in the vacuous worship that is so prevalent, for example, in the shift from God to the self as the central focus of faith, in the psychologized preaching that follows this shift in the erosion of its conviction, in its strident pragmatism, in its inability to think incisively about the culture, in its reveling in the irrational. And it brings us at the close of looking at this passage to the question of the text, which is who or what will be allowed to shape your worldview? Who has been and what has been and who will be allowed going forward to shape your worldview? I watched with a lot of sadness over my lifetime and really in recent uh, years too. You know, there's been... um, ministers of the Gospel that uh, I'm familiar with who uh, have made attempts to rationalize the Bible to survive the rage of culture. Uh, especially, yeah, I think, in, in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, it would be easy to throw stones, you know, and throw rocks at them. You know, I've had conversations with some and and talked to them. It would be easy to say, hey, you know, you, you have to, no matter what happens, you have to stick to the Word of God. but. Put yourself in the shoes of these leaders for a moment. They're pastoring churches with split congregations and the very real prospect of losing their property, their land, their home, and their livelihood. What do they do? I'm certain that these things weigh on the conscience of those as they search the scriptures uh, for a kind of preaching that doesn't divide. What can I talk about? What can I preach that's not going to offend or hurt someone's feelings? And we cannot divide the congregation. But it eliminates the fact that the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the great divider. He's the great divider. For those who choose to hold to pride and to, their own, to be their own salvation, Jesus is the great divider. In Matthew chapter 10 34 and through 36 it would be red letter if you have the red letter editions it's the words of Jesus and he says Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household a guy dropped by the office uh, a couple weeks ago as I was putting finishing touches on on this message and he informed me that if you know he was asking me for money and that you know I was biblically uh, bound to give him money Uh, No, he wasn't from the IRS. Uh, (laughs) He described himself as homeless by choice. Uh, He actually looked really good, you know. Um, And uh, he was living off the benevolence of of people that he met. And he told me that he was unwilling to work. Uh, He had tried it several times. It just didn't work out for him. And uh, so he had run across a passage of Scripture that Agreed with what he wanted to believe, and that was his worldview and his theology. Okay, it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 42. It says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So, his theology basically read, There are no consequences for bad choices. Christians are obligated to give to me if I ask. The church is also obligated to give, if I ask. And here's what he missed in the scriptures: Genesis chapter 2, verse 15: the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Second Thessalonians 3:10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command: if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Ephesians chapter 4 verse28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Proverbs 14:23: "In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. And there are many, many more passages, but you can see by this how easy it is for us to carve out a a, a bad theology and be caused to live with the results of that that we have called our worldview. And God is calling to us to first become a living sacrifice that we may lay ourselves on the altar So that this book is no longer just printed words, but it is life to us. And we are studying this out to understand how we are to live and what we are to do to be in obedience to the one that we have laid down our lives for. Who alone is worthy to be worshipped. Our source of is is of course the living Word of God. It is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples that, you know, uh, I have to go away. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit illuminates and brings to life all the words of Jesus for us. Empowers us to carry this out. We're not on our own. This isn't like how much how good are you at at willpower and strength in your own might Horrible. Uh, how good am I at, at allowing Jesus to live through me? It's it's awesome as I do it. He gives me the strength to live day by day. We have gathered together as the body of Christ and, and to set aside our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own dreams, to offer ourselves to God as a, as a living sacrifice this morning to say we are a blank slate to you. You teach us what is right, what is wrong, and we are not going to conform to the patterns of this world to be directed and led by, you know, what is comfortable, what is easy, uh, you know, what, what, what would be not ruffle the waters. We're just, and we're not out to like destroy people and be hate filled and, and drive people away from Christ, but we're out to obey you. And if it comes down to it, we have more fear of God than we do of man, yeah. Right.